Dearest Andrew, it feels like years since my last correspondence with you. Winter was hell on my emotions this year, and things have been very busy. Trying to add a podcast recording seemed like a monumental task, and one that I felt I was not the equal of. However, I would very much like to do another recording with you as soon as you feel up to it, though I am very aware that it will not happen before this event. I do miss our regular correspondence and hope that the green and warmth of spring has lifted your spirits as they have mine. Yours most sincerely, Angelina Maria Josefina Cosette Debkowskinov. Dearest Angelina, it is good of you to write. The sight of your missive has brought a smile to my face. The winter here has been trying as well, for winter is always dark and full of terrors. It has been far too long since we last sat together and talked, you into your microphone and I into mine, and bridged the gulf between your home and mine. I am glad that a new season has restored to you your familiar temperament, as it has mine. I await with anticipation the resumption of the recording schedule to which we had become accustomed. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yours with equal sincerity, Andrew James Jacob Jingleheimer Van Holt Esquire. Hey everyone, I'm Angela. And I'm Andy. And welcome back to The Magistream, a podcast for Majestans by Majestans. Please note that the podcast, The Magistream, is not to be confused with the in-game Magistream, a wave of living magic that refreshes a Majestan's health and abilities at sunrise. On this episode of The Magistream, we'll talk about all of the games this year that we didn't talk about, all of the spring season and this most recent fall game. Here a performance by Anthony LaRosa, learn about the DOD, and hear what Rybin, that's me, has to say about the changing of the ages. Introducing the Magistream, come ask Rybin anything, be your bridge between the games. So, man, like yes. we went all the way back to the Civil War. <laughs> yes, to talk it has about been a long story. time since we have done a podcast. I'm so Over 150 back, years. No. <laughs> it is now a new age. It is a new age. And it's, <laughs> it's summertime, and we both finally have a break, kind mm-hmm. of, sort of. Yeah. And um, I'm just, I'm really glad that we got back into doing this because I missed it. Yeah. No, it's it's been too long. It really has. And we have a lot to talk about now. A lot of stuff has changed. <laughs> so much. First and foremost, we have the camp. We Woo! have a camp now. Yes, we have the camp. The camp. The yeah, camp. We are, we are now playing at Tolgi Wood Chesterfield Camp, which mm-hmm. is, you know, formerly Chesterfield Scout Reservation. Mm. Um, we were finally able to buy it. It's it's all ours, and we get to run all of Magistry games there. Yeah, it's exciting. Exciting stuff. So exciting, and now we get to take care of it. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's, le- that's less exciting, but well, still it's, exciting. It's still exciting. Like, yeah. it's been really hard to kind of, you know, be a part of this camp and just watch it deteriorate. It's, yes, and yes, and it's really hard to be to. there and, and, and see stuff that you've like, man, I wish I could fix that, but I'm probably not allowed to hammer nails into that thing. <laughs> but now we can, all the yes. nails. Yes, all the nails. <laughs> 
And though it's a little bit, you know, dated, we do have a, a work day, so we get to do paint all the things and nail all mm-hmm. the nails, and we get to have all sorts of work days. Yep. I'm excited. But before I start waxing rhapsodic about, <laughs> about our, our new awesome camp, um, we should talk about what happened last season. Oh, yeah. Stuff happened last season. A lot of stuff has happened, dear listeners, since our last episode. When last we left oh, our heroes, stuff. things were very, very different. Yeah. I think our last episode was the, the winter party. Yeah, that's but, true. And before that, we didn't do... I don't. But we didn't, much we-, we didn't talk about the last fall game. No. Which... Um, that's because no some, one talks about the last fall game because the which, grandmother's terrifying. Yes, the grandmother was pretty terrifying. <laughs> but we also left on a big uh, cliffhanger of an explosion. It's true. That, that we didn't talk about at all. So this season, the 2018 spring season, began a few months after that explosion that ended the, the fall 2017 season. Uh, this explosion was uh, the result of a bomb that was placed by Abraham Boom yes, Blackgate. A- Abraham Blackgate. <laughs> I did not don't, know that until I read the Messenger article. Don't call him that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, actually, you shouldn't see what happens. It'll be I, I am kind of tempted. <laughs> uh, so he had placed a very large bomb uh, for reasons that were maybe unknown except that maybe could have been a spider in his brain yeah the spider in the spider in his brain might have known the reasons (laughs) uh and it ended up blowing up a huge section of swamp lands near to the uh, east of elmerton lakes that left a huge crater in in the land Um, but that was also part of the citadel correct it did blow up part of the the citadel that was in the invergence and because it blew up part of the citadel and it blew up, you know, it was just it's just enormous explosion. It created um, a giant invergence rift in the area. And uh, based on the, you know, fr- from the newsletter article that was written in April uh, in the Majestic Messenger, um, it said mm-hmm. that, you know, it was releasing a, a dark energy that continuously lashed out throughout the area that dampened any magic and hurt any of the living beings it touched um, and you you couldn't actually see into the center of this crater. Like, the, it wasn't filling with water like you think it would because of swamp, but you actually couldn't see into the center of it. Um, and it had all this weird magic, and spiders came out of it. Sorry, spider, like humanoid spider creatures came out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there were a bunch of PCs who actually spent the winter trying to, like, see what was going on in the crater and figure out what was happening and they ended up just spending the whole winter fighting spiders through knee-deep muck (laughs) and um the urban Syrian guard was coming in and then finally once all of like these weird magics that were happening probably because of the rift but you know the the invergence rift Mm -hmm. um the noble houses of Irvinshire actually petitioned Concori Iyer, uh, which is a, a mages guild, to come in and help them control this. And uh, it took three different Iyers uh, from the guild to actually quell the wild magics that were spewing from this rift. Um, and they, they started to close the portal that was in the center of the, of the crater. 
but it has you know what happened what ended up happening is that like a a cone-shaped area of of random portals started opening throughout the throughout the area and the portal authority has been working to shut those portals down because they've been like emitting all sorts of strange creatures and good stuff like that yeah but you can find the whole story if you're interested in the majestic messenger which you can find online uh and that that is that was written in april yes support local journalism otherwise these (laughs) poor scribes won't ever report on the things that are happening in your area um but also uh what else happened in the in oh starting in the spring uh an event that sort of reached uh uh, some some conclusion now, but uh, Ian Falstoke, Lord Ian Falstoke, um, disappeared mysteriously while in the uh, the back room of Aces off on the, the side of that building there. Um, and uh, with Bram and Uko present in the room, um, Heinrich was implicated as well in the disappearance. He was seen outside the, the room. Um, and... Uh, that disappearance raised some suspicious flags. There was a couple of guards. One was present in the room um, who fell asleep but doesn't remember why um, he fell asleep. Um, and then there was one standing outside, uh, standing guard. House Lavendros was alerted Im- immediately that uh, Ian Faustoke was missing. Uh, search parties were organized. We looked for him, couldn't find him. And uh, the the nobles started you know, searching to... Uh, charged Bramanuko with trying to find uh, Ian Falstoke and have him make an appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, Heinrich was later uh, cleared of of any uh, uh, implications of of him of him being responsible, but more on that later. <laughs> um, there was also lots of um, stuff going on with um, Magento. Magento uh, retired because Magento retired. Um, there was and a lot. Now of... we have him on staff. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great for you guys. <laughs> it is great um, for us. And uh, this started, like, in the previous season, he had sacrificed his music magic to try to save his daughter from the consequences that she was facing from the Furies um, as a result of that burden falling on her when he Magento's sort of, actions. Magento's actions. Um, when the consequences of actions fell on her because of some sort of dimensional slip where he like slipped out of his <laughs> shackles and <laughs> she ended up having to you know face punishment for his crimes um to, to try to rectify that you know he's willing to sacrifice everything and uh he ended up sacrificing pretty much everything he sacrificed his his humanity his music his life and uh he uh it culminated into a big fight where magento basically turned himself into a demon in order to siphon all of the goodness in him away to protect his his daughter, trapping him in a in his in his guitar as is in a what was what was left of him um, to protect his daughter and her new Septani house, um, which the guitar is in his uh, his brother's keeping. His brother um, what's his name? I want to say Marcus. That's Marco. Not right. Marco. No. Yeah. Yeah, came back and um, despite being charged with killing Magento, chose not to and instead uh, honored his sacrifice, which was a pretty moving sacrifice and a moving performance by 
Mira and Solon of the song that trapped him in there, which was oh, yeah. like a variation that they came up with like that weekend of one of the songs in Magento's uh, rock opera, Septani's Revenge. It's actually a variation of the song that you'll hear on tonight's Command Perform. Yes, 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 yes. So listen for that. Yes. Yeah, they did a really good job with that song. And that was a very noble description of <laughs> that is that is a that is a favorable description a, a more a, a less favorable description would be like oh he's really gonna do this that's, that's okay <sighs> we, we can we can leave it at favorable that's fine yeah yeah I, I, i'm trying not to speak ill of the dead when he was alive we were speaking we were speaking ill of him sometimes but... like all the time well <laughs> We didn't all want to kill him and torture him painfully like Simon did, which, <laughs> oh, man, true. Artie was intense. Although his his situation, I heard, did did uh, cause or was was the uh, reason for a lot of good role-playing moments in town. There was a lot of intense role-playing. Uh, yeah, a lot of people intensely role-playing their characters, and and, and um, there, there were some late-night uh, late uh, dinner discussions talking mm-hmm. about this might have been we might have talked about this in a previous episode i think or maybe we talked about it off the off the mics but about um you know what whether magento's sacrifice whether 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 he was being selfish or whether he was being no, altruistic or whether there's a fine line between the two i think we talked about this last fall i think uh, i think i remember it briefly but yeah but there, was, there, there were a lot, a lot more of those interactions between towns members discussing Magento and his actions and their consequences and how we should respond and whether it was moral for us to turn a blind eye to what he's doing, whether it was moral to help him turn himself into a demon, whether whether or not it was good to to do any, any of the, any of the things related to it. It was, it was mm-hmm. a tightrope walk. Yeah, I, I was you know very grateful to to Toner for being able to bring that kind of you know moral quandary into mm-hmm. the town and for being able to perpetuate that kind of role playing. It was it was good. So thank you, Toner. We'll miss Magento, mm. Mm. but I'm glad to have you on staff. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, let's see other things that happened last season. Uh, Lenarian became a squire of the Fellowship of Gwendolar, working her way up into knighthood in that organization, yep. uh, which is a nature-centric organization. So congratulations to Lenarian on that. Um, Wonderful ceremony. Yeah, it was a nice ceremony. She, she, Everybody that participated did it like a really nice job by the waterfall next to the Gwendolar shrine. It was very nice. Mm-hmm. And then, oh... Yeah, it was a, a season of chaos. Lots of chaos creatures. The jackalope made an appearance, and he was eventually trapped in a painting. The The town used a, a ritual, of course, to trap the, the jackalope into a painting, but in order to do so, they needed to make appropriate uh, paints. And they had to, well, they had an artist do the painting, and, they, and he told him that he needed to make appropriate paints in order to paint this creature into the painting. And in order to make those paints, he needed blood, specifically townsfolk blood. Oh, yeah. And the way that, like, they collected the blood, it was great. So we were in the uh, the director's cabin, the Ebon Wolves, 
were there and like there was we were all like lined up we'd come in to the room like there was a line of like five or six people in line one person would come in they'd sit on the bed they would like you know prick your arm you'd squeeze your hand and <laughs> and then you know he'd collect the blood and then, and then you'd then go into the cookies. other room and then you'd get cookies and juice <laughs> and it was a blood drive it was great I remember Tyler it who just, was playing the, the artist that was collecting it. Because I, I gave him a handful of vials when he went out. Like, it was a big yeah. handful of vials. I'm like, yeah, oh, you're probably not going to fill all these. But, um, you, should, <laughs> you know, go and fill some. And he came back. He's like, yep, every single one. <laughs> oh, okay. That's good. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, eventually the jackalope was trapped in a painting. Is that painting still in town? I don't know. And I don't want to know. <laughs> no, uh, I, I don't. I, I I don't think it is. I think it's safe somewhere. It might be in town, but I'm not I sure. Mean, if you don't know where it is, yeah. Does that mean it's like, I, safe? There's certain things that I don't really want to know where they are. Oh, well, good to know. Good to know. Um, other things that happened. Oh, there was a lot of displaced former Elmertonians that um, showed up throughout the spring season some of them had felt like they lived in the area and that their houses were like being lived in by somebody else and some of them were just completely disoriented altogether and didn't know where they were or when they were or anything like that so we saw a lot of and they're they're fairly just commoners for the most part right yeah yeah so there was a lot of them coming around someone from schreiber's farm too and Oh, yeah. From, yeah. Nice. Um, and then uh, the Majestic Games were held by Fortune's Vanguard for the first time that we've held that in a while. I think they went off pretty successfully. We have Justin to thank for that primarily. He was instrumental in writing all of the games and making sure they went off. So yep. that, was, that was pretty great. Someone did mention, I think it was Silver, that coincidentally every time – uh, we host the Majestic Games, nobles disappear. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. And th- th- that's, like, he seems to recall it happening, like, twice before. But um, I don't know. I don't think that was related to the, the games themselves. <laughs> it's just a weird coincidence. Yep. So, yeah, that was that was most of the season. Um, yep. And I'm sure there were other things that happened, but there was some like personal plot that went on there were some just like smaller things that happened but yep. for the most part that was those were the highlights yes yeah. but we do still want to talk about last game yes um so last game a couple of the big things there was the uh, venerants from mortuan um these undead uh, nobility which most people from mortuan are undead or very short-lived commoners and there were three different houses uh two of them were very focused on on knowledge stuff so it was more interested in them uh house corwin they were the ones that led the like the knowledge-based ritual to find out about morcanthos and his followers and how they left mortuan and that culminated in a like a knowledge-based ritual sacrifice uh where the caster of the ritual sacrificed himself to create a a vision of what happened with morcanthos's uh followers um during one of the battles that they had and there there were attempts to leave uh mortuan there was house uh, witherstone that put on the uh that asked for us to put on a play uh during dinner that the the dinner that the venerants came to and that play 
I don't know if it had to be historical, but I think Normoron kind of signed me up for a historical play, uh, which <laughs> then um, uh, Casey which, Tatanga offered to help out on. And Yeah, and, and he, he did a great job. Yeah, it was a really good play. job uh, about the uh, introduction of music as an incarnation, how music became one of the greater incarnations. Um, yeah, during the play, like there was a point at which the transition from where Eander actually became the incarnation of music in the play and Artie started playing uh the the song thick as a brick which mm. has always been like you know when when paul has talked about eander when he's played eander that's kind of his like go-to plucking thing like it just <laughs> he doesn't sing any of it it's just always yeah. like if, when he's wandering around with his guitar that's probably one of the, the songs you'll hear him playing and so the fact that like Artie recognized yeah. that and like put that in the play, oh my goodness, it made me. Yeah, cry. Tatanga did a great job with the the play, but Artie also did a really good job as Simon with the with the music. Yeah, for and, sure. And selecting the like different musical themes, most of which didn't have any words for this play, but it was just like the background music really set the set the tone. Yeah, he did a really good. They they all did a really great job with that. I was yeah. very impressed, especially since it was you know thrown at them on friday night and they yes. only had saturday yes. to do it yeah yeah and like tatanga jumped in he's like i want to do it i'm like yeah sure go for it and then he like he checked in with me a couple of times to make sure it was historically accurate <laughs> <laughs> and and it was like and afterwards like he was like went to talk to paul about it and was really like concerned how what paul thought about it and paul really liked it uh but paul did point out something that i i kind of missed which was uh, in, in terms of historical accuracy which was that uh Vorkarian was not eander's son but his grandson mm. but paul also said that that it made it it made it a better play to right. to just to you know you know artistic hand wave license. that artistic license to hand wave that little detail to do you know eliminate you know extraneous characters like vorkaria who was right. eander's daughter who then became the mother of vorkarian that's that's not really necessary when the play's more about music and about right. denuda um, the incarnation, or yeah, the incarnation of. Oh, no, I guess she wasn't an incarnation. No, did anyway, Denuda and her actions to create the incarnation of, of of music, and uh, what consequences that had in terms of death and time and and music. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, it makes it makes me um wish that we had thought to record it because it was really good. I yeah. Would, I would have liked to have that, you know, as yeah. as a recording, but. Next time we put on a play, I'll set something up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then there was the third uh, veteran house that I didn't mention, which was okay. Vondas. I didn't really talk a lot to them, but they were another house. And they were less interested in knowledge in terms of the currency that they were using to, you know, to be a noble house and to acquire power and stuff like that. They were more, my understanding is that they were more interested in, in other currency, like currency instead of just knowledge as a as as a currency and as a method of of um of what they're interested in as a as a noble house um yeah, but yeah Von just yelled at my servant oh yeah for not serving him it was pretty funny because like i was out of game surprise because it was played by toner yeah and toner yeah. he raised his voice to me yeah <laughs> i was like oh, that's not something you hear every day yeah toner doesn't usually raise his voice to anybody it was it's great. called role playing. Role play acting. <laughs> acting. <laughs> the craft. Um, so let's see. Other stuff that happened at last game. There was a bunch of 
devotees to uh, creativity who were called the Sparked, who hmm. went out into the town to <laughs> inspire the world. Trademark. <laughs> um, they uh, were just all about trying to get people to express their creativity They, uh, in any way possible. I believe they were also the wake-up crew on Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, it was a little early for creativity. <laughs> I don't know. There there were some people doing some, some good creative yoga from what I heard, oh, yeah. including Normaron. <laughs> oh, I'm not surprised about that. Uh, like, I opened the door to, to our cabin and uh and and took took one for the team and they're like what are you going to create today i'm like i think i'm going to start with a magic lock and a <laughs> glyph of destroy mind and clara's like yay <laughs> that's great i didn't hear that story <laughs> and then later in the weekend i think it was i think it was sunday yeah i think it was sunday was it sunday the spiders um I don't know. No, it must have been Saturday. It must have been I think Saturday. it was Saturday. Yeah, a, a representative from the Fay House Lunarius came into town with a proposition from the Countess mm-hmm. uh, to help the town with their spider problem. And so the end result being that a, a bunch of townsfolk decided that it was okay to go ahead and eat some spiders. It seemed and, like a good idea at the time. And puked up some spider silk, and she brought that back to the Countess to to help with the spider problem. And how it's going to help? Who knows? <laughs> we'll figure that out. <laughs> but it's going to be good. I was hoping there'd be more details, but nah. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of people who didn't care if there were more details. They were perfectly <laughs> willing to eat to spiders. To just eat spiders. Based on the most vague description of helping with the spider problem. <laughs> yep. And uh, I was real surprised that so many uh, so so many of you put that actual spider silk in your mouths. <laughs> Everyone else was doing it. <laughs> yeah. I figured it was funny because like, the first time... Because I, I played the uh, the House Lunarius spider, and the first mm-hmm. time I went to, to one of you and told you to, you know, puke the the uh, the spider silk into my hand, and it actually came out of your mouth. And I, was like, <laughs> I was like, oh my god! Like, I was really surprised. And I was like, all right, well, I guess this is how it is. And then everyone else did it too. And I was like, so I walked back to town with just like a, a, a handful of, like, of chewed spider silk in my hand. Hmm. Good on you. Lovely. Good on you. Acting. <laughs> Acting. <laughs> um, then uh, later in the in the weekend, um, snake people were spotted for the first time in a while, uh, and they had a sacrifice for a ritual they were doing, and the town rescued their original sacrifice, but they did give up two Elmertonians in the process. Well, we didn't give up. They got taken away from us. <laughs> right. They they lost. To we lost. Friends. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We got them back. We found them again. <laughs> but uh, at what cost? At what cost, indeed. <laughs> yeah, they were talking about um, recreating their, um, whatchamacallit, their, not the great alpha, but like the. Medusa. Medusa. Yes, that's the word. So we'll see what comes of that. Bum, bum, bum. And then what else? There was the uh, the circus, the circus of the hills. A bunch of 
circus performers of various types there were which i guess you didn't see too many of huh i i didn't i didn't see the circus myself oh we had some I, good acts we had a ventriloquist okay like i saw the circus i'm like okay i'm looking at looking at the people passing by i'm like okay all right what what do they have that we don't already have in town <laughs> We've got a strong man who can juggle. <laughs> We've got like all these other things. Like what? You know. Are you calling Elmerton a circus? Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, yeah, I'm saying that we're, just because we're not a traveling circus doesn't mean that we're not a circus. But there was like fortune tellers. I'm like, yeah, we have people to do that in town. Like, why should I pay money just because I don't know these people? But do you have? A giant baby. That was the one thing we did not have. You was also the don't giant have baby? A, a lion tamer. Okay. Or a Sandow tamer. <laughs> or a Sandow. That happened. Listen, listen. <laughs> I was not there when Sandow got controlled and told to do tricks. Normally, if he gets controlled by by uh, by Beastmasters, I'm right there to control him back <laughs> and be like, "Hey, hey, don't do that." I, I heard Sandow had to endure some. Some dancing and a couple of tricks. I heard that as well. I'm sorry, to, Sandow. To help them out of that situation. Yeah. What else? Oh, Solon's uh, is going to be retiring this season, so we saw a little bit of what's going on with that, particularly uh, late in the night, Saturday and and Sunday. People saw him like as a as a different person. Um, he Solon's story is interesting because. It's a lot of like sacrificing pieces of yourself and also just changing who you are mm-hmm. and like how much of that is really you anymore. And that happens to a lot of Elmertonians, but Solon more than more than others. Um, and yeah, people were saying that uh, <laughs> saying that they noticed that like a, yeah, a big change in, in Solon on, on Sunday that he was a lot like nicer than he usually <laughs> is. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough, too. I think he did a pretty good job because the, the character was, like, he'd known about the character for a while, mm-hmm. but it it's a rough transition to go hard stop from one character directly yeah. into another. So I heard he did a good, pretty good job with that. Yeah. And then so, he yeah, had and kind the, of a, a rough Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure there's going to be more changes coming up in the, in the future with him, uh, but it's going to be an interesting story to follow. But, yeah, like, <laughs> the more time you spend in Elmerton, like – Eventually, you start like you know losing pieces of yourself and trading pieces of yourself, or trading you know eating spiders for for what and what 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 change what, what effect this, and and change does that have on you? These are and not like, good selling points, Andy. L- listen, <laughs> I'm not saying they're good selling points. I'm just saying these are things you have to be wa- watch out for. Like eventually, you'll find out that you have you know Valarius's essence and 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 like a shadow hand and uh and uh, who, who knows like and, and it's like you know a brain full of full of dead fey children i mean you make it sound like this just happens but i feel like there are choices involved here. oh yeah there are cho- there are choices there are always choices but sometimes like it's the choice is between doing this really weird thing or letting the town down so it's peer pressure is what i'm saying Okay. All right. Speaking speaking of making choices that land you in trouble, um, oh boy. we also had the the trial of Irvin Shear versus Bram and Ukabak and Heinrich, but Heinrich got got clear of the, of, of the charges. And um, on 
Saturday, waking day, the uh, court came with a, some people from the Portal Authority to put detainment bracelets on them um, so that they, uh, they couldn't, couldn't leave Elmerton. Yeah, they couldn't leave Elmerton tracking tracking bracelets basically (laughs) yeah and um then on sunday they had the trial led by adjudicator marist uh from the allegiant and along with uh nobles from the the kingdom and several noble houses including the um guards who were witnesses Um, the achiora guards the achiora guards and baroness lavendros was there too baroness lavendros was there she testified um she did not have to take the oath but she chose to um take the oath I forget the oath. It, was, it was like i swear by my uh, something my, my ancestors my, my ancestors my lands incarnations. and the incarnations yeah and the trial did not go particularly well but bram took the heat and said that no it was all me it, it wasn't ukabak like the the story like you know, after, you know, the other story about how he just disappeared and walked away. And then um, after it became apparent that that wasn't going to fly, Bram fessed up and said that, you know, he executed Ian Falstoke. Well, he um, said he banished him. Or, he, yeah, he, okay, he banished him. Like, he was the one that, he was the one that did it. He banished him. Um, and that he did it because Lord Tenerath Achiori had basically forced him into it, like had captured him and tortured him after he was trying to kill Tenerath. Actually, the story becomes very convoluted and doesn't paint Bram in the best light, but he was willing to take the heat for it and put it on the record that it was another noble house that had hired him to do it um, and said it wasn't Uko's fault at all. Um, however, Uko still had to pay, a, uh, has a fine of 100 gold, and um, two years of indentured servitude. And two years of indentured servitude. To but House he was Falstoke. not. Yeah. To, yes, to House Falstoke. But he was not executed as Bram was. Right. As the uh, very final season finale, so to speak. Actually, it wasn't a season finale. No, it was. No, this is just the start of the season. It was an episode finale. Right. Yeah, and he was uh, executed on the spot. Well, after. <laughs> up, up the hill from the spot per Simon's request to not do it in the uh, in the blessed amphitheater. Uh, yeah, only Simon's allowed to get killed there. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it was, you know, it was a very tense trial. There were some, some good moments, and Bram did an excellent job through the whole thing, and, mm-hmm. you know, Ukobach did too. And then, just as the axe fell, game over was called. Mm-hmm. And uh, but what what people would have seen was that Bram's body dissipated like really quickly, like under a minute after the the axe fell, and you know so they they saw him they did see him get executed via beheading and then his body dissipated very very quickly. But yeah, I do want to say that you know Bram did like I mean it's it's a really hard thing to be put on trial like. Especially for uh, a crime like that, and especially when the sentence is execution yeah. and exile, and um, yeah, yeah, he just he did it really well. Yeah, the so. Baroness is going to try to work it out so that he can, rather than being banished from Rivenshire, that he can just serve out his exile in Elmerton and just mm-hmm. be trapped in Elmerton. 
but that's not a done deal yet. Right. So we don't know. So we'll find out at the next game. I guess we will. <laughs> that was uh, that was last game. Whew. Yep. All right. Well, that kind of brings us up to the present, and uh, we have a new segment. Well, it's it's an old segment, but it's got a new name because uh, one of our uh, plot writers is named Clara, and we used the term clarify a lot during the last game, so we thought we'd introduce her as our new segment called Clarify. I always pronounce her name wrong. I say Clara. I think it's supposed to be Clara. Well, clarify. Anyway, clarify. Perhaps we'll clarify or clarify that. <laughs> <laughs> so that said, uh, welcome to our newest segment, Clarify, where our or NPC and plot writer Clara just researches and clarifies a new rule for you. So without further ado, here's Clara. Hey everyone, um, Clara here as introduced. So I have a few rules here for you today to for me to shed some light on. The first one comes from Pete Dye, a.k.a. Silver, um, and he asks, If someone enrages me with a spell and then I get knocked unconscious by my friends, when they awaken me, am I still enraged? The short answer to that is yes. Um, as it says in the book, if you are awakened before the spell has expired, you will continue to be enraged and pass out again after 10 seconds if you, if you cannot attack. So to summarize, no effect, including sleep, gets rid of rage. Um, you have to either calm emotions or dispel magic at the proper level in order to get rid of the rage effect. Those are the only ways to get rid of it. Otherwise, it will last the full duration. Another rules clarification from Pete Dye, a.k.a. Silver, is what exactly happens during a rest period? So when you're resting, of course, the definition of that is that you cannot engage in combat or run or do anything strenuous. You have to actually be resting. But while you're actually resting, if you rest for a full 10 minutes, if you were under one to four hit points... Um, you can get back up to five hit points. Also, any limbs that you could, weren't able to use, they get restored, and you get one cantrip back. So it's a pretty useful skill to know, resting. And uh, our final rule to clarify this time is from Nate, a.k.a. Styles. Could you please clarify how empowerment works? The honest answer to that one is, I don't know, man. So I'm going to research that for you, and I will get back to you on the next segment of Clarify. Yeah, I definitely pronounce her do, name do, do, differently do, do, do. every time. <laughs> Magistream, Magistream. <laughs> yeah. You say right. tomato, I say tomato. <laughs> Who says tomato anyway? Yeah, I've never heard anyone say tomato, except in that song. All right. Well, thank you, Clara. Um, we can't wait to get you into future segments. If you have 
uh, questions or rules clarifications that you would like Clara to research, you can either Facebook message her or you can always email us at themagistream at magistry.com. We'd like to take a moment to have a quick sponsor break. Uh, since this is the beginning of the season, our sponsor break is actually going to be sponsored by a real event happening on October 20th. What? Uh, presented by the Massachusetts Renaissance Fair. And it is our Pirate and, sorry, the Haunted Hills Pirate and Mermaid Festival. We are super excited. It's going to have entertainment. It's going to have pirate walks and food. And then that night, starting at um, 6 o'clock, we're going to have a ghostly gala where we're going to have... Mm. We're actually going to... I'm really excited. We're going to have pirate-themed contra dancing for part of the night. Okay. (laughs) I'm so excited for that. (laughs) Uh, And then there's going to be regular dancing. Uh, Entrance to the gala also includes food. Uh, We'll feed you dinner. It's got games. It's got live music. It's just going to be a blast. Mm. So you can find out all about this. There's actually a page on our website. That's massrunfair.com. And you can also see an event on our Facebook Facebook page. Where is this going to be? At Tolkienwood Chesterfield Camp. What? (laughs) Yeah. We're holding our our first open to the public event uh, at Tolkienwood. So we're excited. It should be a lot of fun. Nice. And now, uh, without further ado, uh, our Command Perform segment by Toner with a track from his hit rock opera, Septani's Revenge. We were vagabonds. We went town to town With a heart and a song And a dream and a bottle I would follow you Till the edge of time My hand clasped with yours Our hopes on one course And I murdered you Murdered you You were all I had And I murdered you murdered you I can never go back and although their blood turned my blood black and I may have stabbed my family's back in exchange for a lich's avengement your music lives on your music lives on your music lives on through my song through my song Well, thanks, Toner. That's, you know, I got to say, um, having been one of Toner's plot writers for this plot, I'm really honored to to see, like, 
the content of my of my story mm. that that you know he's helped to write in a rock opera. It is so cool. <laughs> it's it's impressive. I it, yeah I've told him it before, but just like it's like the 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 album's like really well structured. It's got like two acts. It's got you know and and the the themes echo throughout and like it's ah oh, it's such a, such a powerful moving. Uh, We'll have like to put a, a link to the rock opera in the comments yeah. Yeah, after yeah. We, when we post this on Facebook. Yeah. So you, you can find a link somewhere in there. We'll, we'll make it available to you. Yeah, and that way it'll be available to posterity to anybody listening to this podcast in the future. Ooh. But now it's time for a sub-segment of our mon- monster manifesto called Know Your Neighbors. And the subject of today's Know Your Neighbors is none, on, none other than our friends, the Disciples of Dissension, D-O-D. also known as the DOD. <laughs> um, so you might be asking yourself, especially if you're a new player in town, and you come across these, these uh, characters that the town either really tolerates and jokes <laughs> with or just kills on sight. They are the DOD, but who are the DOD. Well, mm. up until year 2000 of the Age of Gathering, they were the inhabitants of the town of Haynesville. But they abandoned the place when the taxes started getting pretty high, and they banded together to fight back against Duke Warland and ended up naming themselves the Disciples of Dissension. Uh, when Lord Vorkarian, who at the time was and was not the incarnation of death, and was and was not a noble in the kingdom of Irvinshire. It it was kind of complicated. But at the time, when he paid for the town's repairs in year 2002-2003, and the land became tax-free, the DOD decided they wanted to move back in. Yep. Um, I think you said age of gathering, but I think it was the age of arrival that this happened, which was oh. the age right before fortune. Yes, yes um, you're right. It was the age of arrival. Uh, so anyway, in uh, and in 2003 of the Age of Arrival, uh, the disciples uh, ambushed Hannesville using guerrilla tactics. They kicked the town's tails hard and, like, totally killed them. I think you mean that the town kicked their tails hard and totally killed them because that, yeah, it was not a pretty sight. Um, one of the disciples had a note for Varkarian that told him to have the, the town empty for them by Sunday. Um, and then since then, the, the DOD have appeared as a symbol for anarchy and discord throughout the kingdom of Irvinshire and beyond. Um, their uniforms are green taverns with a tabards with a dead tree on it. Uh, a sort of like mocking symbol of mocking the uh, Irvinshirean coat of arms, which is a living tree on a field of green and blue. They're generally considered treasonous and dangerous and have been deemed a kill on sight type menace by some but as a comic relief by others and sometimes by the same people at the same time you're trying to kill them (laughs) while laughing at their antics they're not necessarily the most competent uh of fighters um and it's also easy to mock a group of anarchists that all wear the same symbol (laughs) There was at least one competent member of the DOD. That's, that's, okay, that's true. This competent member of the DOD um, 
was said to be Jacorian. In the last age, he was known as in the last age. He was known as Commander Jaco. He was a specialist in the School of Magistry, and so was put in charge of guarding and maintain, maintaining a beacon in the Arcane Realm. After the DOD banded with Valarius, the Sleeping Lord, who Ooh. had similar beacons placed in all eight of Majesta's major realms. But the heroes of Elmerton, as they do, attacked the DOD in the Arcane Realm, killed Jaco, and destroyed the beacon. And it was about a century later that the spirit of Jaco managed to escape from the spirit realm and find its way back to the Arcane Realm, where he became an Arcanus and renamed himself Jacorian, which is, you know, self-importantly, a play on the name Vorkarian, because on his way out of the spirit realm, he created an alternative route out of the realm of death for spirits that knew where to look for it. So these days, Jacorian has celebrity status with some of the members of the DoD, who have named him an honorary commander. <laughs> <laughs> he is kind of legendary to the DoD, yeah. um, many of whom still call him Commander Jaco. And they essentially worship him if they happen to find him. I think there was one story in which uh, Solon and someone else were, were chasing me as a DoD member, and I came across Commander Jaco and, like, immediately fell to the ground prostrate. And both Solon and, uh, I want to say it was Sindo, just were like, uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> as they oh, no. came around the corner and saw who... You know, who is there? But anyway, so they essentially worship him if they come across him. But he doesn't work for the DOD, does not actively lead them. Right. Um, even though they, they might beg him to cook up all the nobles with his uh, heat magic. And uh, now for some 100% completely true facts <laughs> about Commander Jaco, as told by DOD fanatics and, and Elmertonians. <clears throat> all right. Commander Jaco walked into the Void Prison and walked out unharmed. The only thing that happened to him is his light spell went out. Commander Jaco has taught Mike Falk how to love a woman and scold a child. Commander Jaco's family crest is a picture of a barracuda eating Darius Underbar. Commander Jaco actually died ten years ago, but Vorkarian can't get up the courage to tell him that. Commander Jaco can squeeze orange juice out of a lemon. For most people, home is where the heart is. But for Commander Jaco, home is where the is where he stores his collection of Elmertonian skulls. When the boogeyman goes to sleep at night, he checks his closet for Commander Jaco. And last but not least, Commander Jaco is ten feet tall, weighs two tons, breathes fire, could eat Rakesh's hammer. And take a cannon blast standing. <laughs> and those are all the true Commander Jaco facts we have time for. But if you have time, maybe you can post them in the comments <laughs> of wherever this is. And so that's the DOD. So the next time you see uh, the DOD, now you have a, an idea of who they are, why they're there. And, and why doing. Commander Jaco is so awesome. <laughs> and why Commander Jaco is so awesome. Hey, do you remember, were you there for the game when uh, Commander Jaco, I forget exactly the context behind the plot, but mm -hmm. he came down the hill just angry as anything. And it was in part, of, it was like part of a final battle. 
And so Paul, as Commander Jaco, walks down the hill. And no kidding, like, as he walked onto the field, like, the there was just this huge thunderclap. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, it was so awesome like so coincidentally great and everyone was just like whoa that's commander jacob just be mad <laughs> no i was not there for i that. mean to be fair it wasn't commander jacob it was jacorian but right, he was still right. <laughs> right it was it was perfect or jerkorian as we call him sometimes <laughs> commander jacob facts yep welcome to ask ribbon anything disclaimer the opinions expressed here are for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing legal advice, especially if you're under trial for murder of a noble. The opinions of Revan Van Holt are completely in-game, may not reflect the opinions of Andy Doucette or Magistry staff, and may be factually untrue. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome, especially when time travel is involved. Oh, hello there. I was just sitting in front of this fireplace in my large bookshelf, enjoying a spiced wine and reading some letters. Dear Ribbon, as a concerned citizen of Majesta, I want to know, who decides when one age ends and the next begins? As a related question, who gets to name the age once it has begun? Sincerely, Simon Shakurka Garin. The age of, well, the age of creation started when Sadius began creating Majesta and ended when he finished. Some accounts say the Age of Creation was 117 years long, which doesn't make much sense given that time didn't exist yet. However, the number 117 has symbolic cosmological significance. It's not a, it's not a prime number, contrary to popular belief, but it is 3 times 3 times 13, and 3 and 13 are primes with cosmological significance, as is the number 17, which looks like a 117, but... oh. Sorry, I'm getting a little bit off topic. The Age of Repose began with the confirmation of death as the last great incarnation. It started the time when people on Majesta began to age, dream, and die. Many of the oldest structures and institutions of Majesta date to this period because so few survived the Age of War. I've heard it said by those in town that devastation is responsible for the start of the Age of War. But what is known is that the Age of War caused widespread destruction on a massive scale. The Age of War was a period of constant internal warfare with shifting sides and no end in sight, until influence from outside Majesta managed to end the conflict. The overworlder Deathorn sent Armego from Dant after years of fighting the then Incarnation of War, after centuries of the Age of War. Um, the Incarnation of War at the time was the Orc Hurog, and Armego managed to defeat Hurog in battle, likely with subtle aid from other incarnations of Majesta, in addition to powers off Majesta, and Armigo was confirmed in the Blood Waters as the Incarnation of War. With the end of the Age of War came the Age of Tears, the longest age in the history of Majesta, well over 5,000 years, more than a third of the Majestic time cycle. It was a time of fa famine, poverty, and slow rebuilding after the devastating effects of the Age of War. Next to nothing survived the previous age, and it was rare in the Age of Tears to find an organization or social structure more complex than an extended family or a large town. The boundary between the Age of Gathering is arguably the most difficult age transition to pin down, but the Age of Gathering is characterized by an increase in social stability and the rise of new institutions and governments. The nobility as we know it, and many of the nations we know today, can be traced back to around the start of the Age of Gathering. 
Another important distinction is that in the Allegiant calendar, the incarnation associated with the Age of Tears is that of fear, whereas the Age of Gathering is associated with the incarnation of community. If the Age of Tears was an age of darkness and fear, concerned only with day-to-day survival, then the Age of Gathering was one of rebirth of society and hope for the future. The end of the Age of Gathering and the beginning of the Age of Arrival is marked by the mass migration of Mongrelians from Mongrella. The influx of so many Mongrelians caused a period of confusion and instability, but eventually Mongrelians were fully integrated into Majestin society. The Age of Arrival ended in the year 2007, after several cataclysmic events culminating in the defeat of the sleeping Lord Valarius. It avoided a dark prophecy foretelling the static Age of Fate, and instead started the Age of Fortune, where we find ourselves today. Oh, so to answer your question, I suppose Sadius got to name the first few ages at least, and it would be fair to say that the Allegiant named the later ages, but in terms of where an age ends, it's almost always a cataclysmic event at some point, with the exception of Tears to Gathering. Sadly, too few know of the sacrifices Elmerton made to bring about the Age of Fortune, but that's a story for another time. Let's see if I have time for another letter. Dear Ribbon, why haven't you written back? I miss you. The Messenger's Guild confirmed delivery of my letters. You make me sad, Ribbon. Shadow-colored heart shape, your favorite dark elf who is always watching you. I do not have time for another letter. Well, that completes this episode of The Magistream. Thank you to Pete Dye and Nate Carr for submitting rules for Clara to, well, clarify. Thanks to Simon T. Guerin for submitting questions for Ribbon to answer. And thanks to Toner for his submission to our Command Perform segment. And thanks again to Sam Rochford for writing our theme music. You can find more of her music at facebook.com slash samrochfordmusic. And thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Introducing the magistrate. Come ask Ryben anything. Be your bridge between the games. Don't understand it Say I'm too old to believe In magic The only limit is what you Can imagine So come and listen La 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 So come and listen La 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 This podcast has been a production of Magistry Copyright P-Double Games You can find more about our LARP at Magistry.com or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash magistry. If you have comments, suggestions, feedback, or questions, you can email us at themagistream at magistry.com.